may be seated. Good morning. This morning we have a special guest, um, speaker from Barnabas Aid Ministry. His name is Paul Schwartz. And Barnabas Aid is an international mission to the persecuted church, providing hope and aid for Christians around the world who suffer discrimination, oppression, and persecution because of their faith in Jesus. So welcome, Paul. Thank you, Susan. Uh, Susan is to be commended for the uh, legwork that she put into uh, helping prepare for me to uh, be here this morning. So uh, thank you again, Susan, for all that you put into that. Uh, I am here giving greetings from Lancaster, Pennsylvania, uh, where our U.S. headquarters is located. Uh, Again, I'm Paul Schwartz. My title with Barnabas Aid is Fundraising Officer. Uh, which uh, is just a uh, fancy title for uh, uh, doing development work uh, for the organization and uh, doing church relations, uh, uh, fulfilling uh, speaking engagements uh, such as this one. Uh, uh, You uh, reached out to us and uh, invited a speaker to come. Uh, I'm here uh, uh, carrying out that uh, uh, request that you made. uh, we're uh, in the process of uh, uh, you know, identifying people who uh, might uh, help uh, uh, volunteer and fulfill speaking engagements such as this one uh, throughout the state. Uh, that's another reason why I'm here. Uh, it, it, we're uh, uh, connecting with uh, churches that are already uh, supporting our mission. Uh, it's a blessing uh, to be here. Uh, this morning, got here uh, Saturday, yesterday morning, uh, here till Tuesday, and it's uh, 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 a profound blessing to be here. Uh, thankful to be back in the uh, in Florida. I lived in Kissimmee, near Orlando, from uh, 1993 to 2005. Uh, moved to Lancaster, Pennsylvania, in 2005. Been there 16 years. Uh, last night, I. Drove down to St. Augustine, uh, in, uh, which uh, is uh, my experience there is a story in and of itself. I could spend the whole 30 minutes uh, uh, talking about that. But uh, I was driving down there, and the, the heavens opened, and I, I was driving 30 miles an hour on I-95. I could barely see in front of me, and I said, Thank you, Lord, that I'm back in the sunshine state. Uh, I'll tell you. Um, But uh, it is good to be back, and I'm representing Barnabas Aid, which is a mission to the persecuted church around the world. Our theme verse for what we do with Barnabas Aid is Galatians 6.10, which says that, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Um, So... We are a mission that operates from Christians. I'm going to go back. It should. Okay. There's supposed to be people showing up there. Okay. So uh, I'm not sure why they're not there. But um, 
I'll stop there for a moment because uh, I want to take a moment to uh, communicate to you an experience that took place in my life that informs what I do today in uh, serving persecuted Christians worldwide to help you understand that this is a personal issue for me. Uh, It dates back to when I was just barely out of my teens, uh, when I graduated from uh, college in the summer of 1986. Uh, I was involved in the ministry of Campus Crusade for Christ when I was in college and eventually joined their staff, and that was how I ended up in Florida working at the headquarters down in Orlando. Uh, But in 1986, uh, I spent six weeks uh, on a mission a mission project behind the Iron Curtain. Uh, in fact, I wasn't supposed to tell anybody where I was going. Uh, I, I confided to my sister. I said, I'm going to Romania, but you can't tell anybody or I'm going to have to kill you. Okay? Um, I mean, I'm, I'm joking, obviously. Uh, but um, I spent six weeks behind the Iron Curtain, and we had situations when we were there where uh, we would have a prayer time before we would go out into the community uh, and do what we were uh, called to do there. And we would uh, turn the, the, the boom box on. This is when we had boom boxes. This is 1986. And we would, uh, so that if our room was bugged, you know, they couldn't hear us pray and they couldn't hear us uh, talking to one another. Uh, when we were in, uh, uh, when we were eating dinner, uh, we, we were in a, at a beach resort, uh, and there was a, a condo complex that we were staying at, and there was a long table that we would sit at and eat dinner, and there was a gentleman at a table uh, next to us, and he would stare at us the whole time we were eating dinner, and he was a tour guide, okay? Well... It was evident, especially in retrospect, that this gentleman was a plant for the government. He was spying on us. He was probably a representative of the Securitate, the secret police in Romania. Uh, so we were spied on. We were, our rooms were probably bugged. And the last week that we were there, uh, we were in uh, uh, a city called Timisoara on the border of Hungary, right close to the border. If uh, you know anything about the Romanian Revolution in 1989 when the communist dictator, Nicolae Ceausescu, was overthrown, that was where it started, was in Timisoara. And we met with a house church for that week in Timisoara, and they picked us up at the train station and drove us around in these convoluted circles. We didn't know where we were. Uh, It was... we realized that they were trying to make sure that nobody followed us and we got to the pastor's house and we were led to a room uh there there were four of us uh, traveling together and two of us were in one bedroom and the other two of us were in another bedroom and for a for the whole week except when we came out into the living room to meet with the, uh, with, the, with the people from the church that we were doing some discipleship training with, uh, we sat in that bedroom all day. Uh, we were almost literally under house arrest. And that was, the, that was the life that the Romanian Christians were experiencing at the time. 
they, uh, they were under constant threat of uh, being spied on by the secret police and, and their activities being monitored. And every, all the time we were there, we were, had our, our antenna up as to uh, some situation that we might be facing that might get us thrown out of the country and sent back to the U.S. They wanted our dollars. They, they bad enough that they let us be there, but they, they, they knew that what we were there for, and they were looking for any excuse to throw us out. So I witnessed and experienced persecution firsthand as a, uh, as a, as a young man, uh, barely out of my teens. And that experience that summer, uh, it, it stays with me. As I tell the stories and as I communicate about the experiences that um, the people that we minister to uh, around the world are uh, you know, going through. Um, so with that in mind, uh, this slide here just simply illustrates the fact that uh, our mission to persecuted Christians worldwide is an efficient one. Uh, we do not send our own missionaries. Instead, we form partnerships with organizations that are working directly with persecuted Christians on the ground uh, where they are facing suffering uh, and persecution for their faith. And this slide simply illustrates that uh, uh, the the big blue section illustrates that um, uh, any donations to a specific project that that we are funding if you donate to a specific project, every penny of that donation goes toward that particular project. And that donations to our general fund, uh, 12% is taken out for overhead. Uh, but uh, other than that, uh, everything goes toward the project that it's uh, designated for. Uh, a lot of what we've done over the last year or two has been in response to uh, the uh, uh, COVID crisis around the world. Uh, Coupled with uh, with plagues and droughts worldwide, which have created situations where people like this lady, Fulmoni, uh, a 67-year-old widow in Bangladesh, uh, don't know where their next meal is going to come from. And the quote that you see up on the screen there is her response to receiving food aid from an organization that we partnered with. She had been scratching out a living as a maid. Uh, But when COVID hit, she lost her job and she was destitute and didn't know where her next meal was going to come from. And she, a partner organization that we, the project they funded provided her with food. Uh, This is a situation that is being repeated many times over around the world, uh, whether it be in Africa, uh, places like Zimbabwe, or in India, where this pastor's family this is an example of how uh, in, in India, for example, uh, Christians are discriminated and persecuted against uh, when it comes to the distribution of food aid. Uh, when, they, uh, when, when, the, when the line forms and the, and, the, and the government is handing out food, if the, the Christians get to the front of the line and they are identified as a Christian, they are told, uh, none for you. Get out of the line. And so where are they going to get their, where, they, where are they going to get food from? And the organizations that we partner with on the ground in India and in similar places around the world, uh, this is where they get their, um, you know, where they get their food from. 
So let's go to the next one. Uh, uh, pastors, families. Uh, uh, one of the dynamics that's at play is that uh, uh, because the, the, the people are out of work, uh, they're not able to tithe. And so the pastors are not getting, uh, they're, they're not getting paid. And so they are in uh, danger of uh, going hungry. And so the pa- so pastors' families uh, need food aid as well, not just uh, the people in their congregation. And this is an example of what a, a food distribution might look like. Um, you'll see the, the bottles of hand sanitizer, so there will be hygiene items that are a part of uh, those distributions as well. And this is coupled, as I said, with uh, locust plagues around the world. This is uh, in Pakistan. Uh, you see uh, this farmer. He's got locusts all over him. I mean, this is like uh, the, uh, uh, the, the plagues in Egypt. All, all over again. Uh, and this is a Christian farmer in Pakistan who uh, lost his field, the locust plagues, and we uh, you know, provide uh, you know, assistance to them. Uh, this is an 85-year-old blind widow named Anna in Uganda, and you read the quote from her. This is, uh, uh, she was subsisting on a cup of milk a day, and she was... Uh, uh, watering it down to uh, make it last. And this is her granddaughter who is leading her about. She's, she's blind. And her pastor came to her door. And uh, she said, oh, the pastor's going to pray for me. He said, no, I have food for you. Uh, this is, this, so what we are doing uh, around the world and the people uh, who are supporting the projects that we uh, partner with are literally helping to save lives of, of uh, Christians. But we don't just feed people. These are just, uh, just some uh, uh, various examples of uh, some of the things we do. And I'm going to hit on some of these relatively quickly this morning. We provide practical aid for the persecuted church. Um, we um, uh, provide startup costs for uh, 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 Christians to uh, form businesses uh, and uh, uh, provide uh, 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 vocational training for them, uh, such as apprenticeships uh, in Pakistan. Uh, uh, you, uh, uh, young Christian men and women are learning auto mechanics. Elect, uh, they're learning to be electricians. They're learning to be hairdressers. Uh, in uh, Senegal, uh, uh, converts from Islam who uh, were uh, cast aside from Islamic schools and were living on the streets. Uh, you know, we... Uh, the, the, the projects that we partner with, and this is Senegal, they're pulling them off the streets and getting them into school, and they're learning trades. Uh, uh, this is another example of uh, small business uh, seed money that we're providing for uh, Christians in Uzbekistan. Uh, uh, the, the, the slide on the right, you'll see goats. Uh, in Pakistan, you can... Uh, uh, you can uh, 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 sponsor a goat for uh, for a farmer in Pakistan, and that might not seem like a big deal, but to them, uh, you know, the, the the meat and the, the hides and the, the milk and it's uh, uh, it's a, it's seed money for them, and they can m- make a living. And where I'm going with this is is that uh, these opportunities that are being created for these Christians in these countries 
are a direct result of the fact that they are treated as second and third class citizens in their society, specifically because they are Christians. And uh, I'm going to prepare to show a three-minute video. And in uh, this, this video you're going to watch is going to illustrate this uh, brick kiln project in Pakistan. The, you're, the, the next three minutes, you're going to see people who had been living in virtual slavery to, uh, uh, to a debt that they would never, ever in their earthly lifetime or in uh, the generations of their children to come ever repay. So if you could go ahead and uh, watch this uh, video with me, uh, you'll uh, learn about uh, the, uh, the bondage that persecuted Christians are being set free from in Pakistan. Low-paid brick kiln workers in Pakistan live just at survival level. If someone falls sick or another kind of family crisis occurs, they have no option but to take out a loan from their employer, the brick kiln owner. Interest on the loan will then be deducted from their already meager weekly wages. My husband had breathing problems and we needed to take a loan out to pay for medication. But the loan kept increasing and increasing. There is little hope of ever repaying the debt. Sometimes the debt is even passed from generation to generation. It may even be forgotten how it actually began. I inherited my loan from my father after his death. I never want my children to be under a debt like me. Whole Christian families are effectively enslaved in this way. Unable to leave, they are bonded to their brick kilns, and this continues as long as the debt remains. Thanks to your generous donations, we have already transformed the lives of 1,001 hard-working Christian families. Barnabas pays off in full the debt that Christian bonded labourers owe to the brick kiln owner, setting brick kiln workers and their families free from bondage. With our debt paid, we are full of joy and peace. Our children can now go to school. Jesus has set us free and enabled us to work in peace. I will never need to take another loan now. My children are going to school. We are so happy. With your help and God's grace, we intend to continue to free many more. We support more than 30 schools and a sewing centre specifically for Christian brick kiln families. Barnabas also sponsors adult literacy classes where brick kiln workers receive Christian instruction at the same time as learning reading, writing and arithmetic. Thank you so much for your wonderful support in liberating our Christian brothers and sisters from the oppression of bonded labour. Couple, couple of things about that. Yeah, a couple of things about that video. Uh, you, um, 
you heard a British accent, and I did not um, clarify at the beginning that uh, Barnabas Aid is the U.S. division of a of an international organization that was founded and headquartered in England and operates all throughout the rest of the world as Barnabas Fund. Uh, but uh, for legal reasons, we had to change the name here. Uh, so we operate under Barnabas Aid. And the other thing I want to uh, clarify uh, about that video is that uh, it said 1,001 families. That, that's an, uh, I actually haven't updated that slide. The number is uh, much higher now. In fact, a, uh, uh, I'm going to be next week uh, a similar situation as to this trip here to Jacksonville this weekend. I'm going to be in uh, Minnesota uh, next weekend, and there's a church up there that made such a, uh, a sizable donation to this brick kiln project that 31 families, we estimated, uh, are being set free from uh, bondage. Uh, in the way in which it was described in the video. Uh, in Pakistan, uh, Christians either, uh, they, uh, the only jobs that they can have are the jobs that uh, nobody wants, like making bricks, uh, cleaning the sewers, sweeping streets. Uh, but uh, this project is, uh, is giving families uh, an opportunity to break the cycle of poverty that, is, that they are being held under. Uh, through the, 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 per, the as part of the persecution that they face, uh, we we also uh, help provide health care uh, uh, through the organizations that we partner with. Um, this is a, a medical clinic in Pakistan that uh, uh, we help sponsor. Uh, we provide training and equipping of church leaders. Uh, through distance learning, providing them with the, uh, the smartphones and the laptops and the Internet connections that they need in order to receive uh, the uh, uh, ongoing education that they need. Uh, this is a, a leadership training conference for pastors in uh, the uh, former Soviet Republic of Tajikistan, which is uh, a, 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 a pr- predominantly Islamic country where they're facing uh, persecution and they, this seminar, they are uh, being taught on how to respond to persecution according to First Peter. Uh, you know, scripture tells us that uh, all those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And we face uh, various persecutions for our faith, uh, certainly. Uh, we, uh, there are points in your life where if you uh, confess Christ before someone, they uh, will laugh at you. Uh, they will uh, uh, maybe not speak to you anymore. Uh, it, it, these, but these are people living in places uh, around the world uh, where uh, if, like, like for example, uh, in Eritrea, country in Africa, if, uh, I, uh, if I recited the Nicene Creed out loud, like, like I did here this morning, uh, I'd, uh, I'd probably end up in prison, and I would uh, be uh, potentially uh, uh, tortured by uh, being locked in a shipping container uh, for, for hours and hours on end. Uh, the, the, uh, this is the... Uh, type of situation that is uh, happening around the world. And I want to illustrate this. I'm going to be showing another video 
uh, one of the ways in which we minister, uh, when, I, when it says victims of violence, I'm going to show another three-minute video uh, that is uh, going to illustrate the violence that is being perpetrated against uh, Christians around the world, uh, and specifically in Nigeria, where uh, Christians are being targeted by, uh, uh, by terrorists, uh, terrorist organizations. Uh, who are uh, going from town to town, identifying where the where the church is, and uh, they'll uh, uh, find out where the church meeting is taking place, and they will uh, you know, kidnap people, uh, kidnap Christians, uh, shoot Christians. Uh, there is a, a, a virtual genocide taking place against Christians in Nigeria, and it is a a situation that the world knows virtually nothing about. And our organization, uh, one of the things that we do is we tell the untold stories of what's happening uh, to Christians uh, uh, worldwide. And this video is going to illustrate it. Nigeria, often referred to as the giant of Africa, is Africa's most populous country and the seventh most populous in the world. It is one of the world's largest oil producers and is considered to be an emerging market by the World Bank. But many of its inhabitants live with a permanent threat of violent death. There has been Islamic extremist violence against Christians in northern Nigeria from the 1980s and especially since the beginning of the 21st century. Since 2015, violence has killed more than 6,000 Christians and forced almost 2 million people to flee their homes. It is worth repeating that number. That is more than 6,000 Christians killed in the last five years. And that number is even higher. Thousands of others have been maimed, burned or kidnapped by Boko Haram jihadists or Fulani militants. There is a common pattern to the violence. Militants, armed with guns and machetes, storm into a predominantly Christian village and begin indiscriminately slaughtering men, women and children. For example, on the 22nd of July 2020, militants with knives and machetes broke into homes of a mainly Christian village, Kitchener, in the southern Kaduna state, murdering 17-year-old Kephas Monday, 14-year-old Lydia Monday, 9-year-old Jumami, 14-year-old Giwa Thomas, and 27-year-old Living Johanna. A Christian leader said that the attacks are now so frequent that they had stopped reporting them. They said, we seem always to be reporting deaths and attacks, and people are weary of our reports. The carnage has gone largely unchallenged by the Nigerian government. Security forces have failed to stop the violence and the international media are silent. A church leader lamented, It is as if the lives of Christians no longer matter in the areas under attack. The faith of persecuted Nigerian Christians is strong, but we must come to their aid.
that's the reality of uh, you know, what's happening around the world. Uh, Nigeria, uh, in Myanmar, uh, formerly Burma, where a military coup has, uh, you know, where Christians are fleeing into the uh, fleeing into the jungles and trying to escape to Thailand. Uh, I have uh, a friend who is a seminary professor in uh, Singapore, and he had a, uh, a student from Myanmar uh, in his, uh, in his uh, classes, and he graduated and went back to Myanmar, and for weeks on end, he did not know if his friend was, uh, was still alive. Uh, and then he got word that uh, uh, he, he's safe, but uh, he doesn't know where he is. Uh, and that is... Uh, uh, a situation played many times over around the world. Uh, uh, real quick, just got a couple more minutes here. Uh, we provide aid for victims of violence in places like Cameroon, in, uh, in Egypt, uh, in Ethiopia. Uh, we uh, provided help for Christians who were affected by the explosion in Beirut, Lebanon a year ago. It was uh, the, the one-year anniversary of uh, that uh, took place uh, uh, just a, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we a lot of Christian, the, most of the Christians in Beirut were affected by this explosion, and the projects that we fund helped uh, literally rebuild their lives. Uh, uh, we do uh, literature distributions in uh, Russia and in Ukraine. And I, I didn't have the slide updated. The new information for 20 and 2021 uh, came out before I could uh, get the slide updated. But in 2019 to 2020, we made 418 payments on 348 projects in 63 countries. You can advance that next slide for me. There we go. What can you do? to help minister to persecuted Christians. There are four things that you can do. Number one, get informed, education. Uh, you can't respond to what you don't know about. Uh, you, you, what's happening in Nigeria, you don't hear about it in the news media. Uh, we, uh, one of the things we do is we report on, the, uh, we have a, a weekly uh, email that goes out with links to news stories on our website. And uh, you hear about Nigeria, China, Myanmar, uh, Eritrea, uh, North Korea. Uh, uh, we get you informed on what is happening to persecuted Christians. And two, pray for them. We have a uh, prayer guide that uh, uh, every other month a printed prayer guide that has a daily prayer request for a country where Christians are facing persecution. Number three, obviously, give financially to our, uh, the projects that we help support. Uh, we, uh, the email, we have a weekly email that uh, highlights a fund appeal, a, a, some pro, a specific project that needs funding, uh, whether it be uh, uh, one recently was for uh, Afghanistan and uh, Christians in Afghanistan uh, now with the troops pulling out, uh, the Taliban is taking over Afghanistan, and they're basically telling Christians uh, either uh, convert, flee, or die. They have three options. Convert to Islam, flee the country, or die. Uh, and so we are funding a project to 
uh, help meet the needs that uh, the, the Christians in Afghanistan are uh, facing. Uh, and for advocacy, uh, when appropriate, we uh, call upon governments to act righteously on behalf of the persecuted. Um, so uh, uh, those are four ways that you can participate in ministering to the persecuted church. And we are thankful, again, for the opportunity to be here this morning. And this is our website, BarnabasAid.org. Uh, and if you join our mailing list, you get um, the, uh, the, the, the bi-monthly magazine, the bi-monthly prayer guide, other uh, resources. If you, uh, we have a table out back. If you sign up for our mailing list today, I will give you this book. And when you um, uh, sign up for the mailing list, use the pen that I have back at the table. I'll even let you keep the pen. So uh, you can have a book and a pen. Uh, if you sign up for a mailing list in the, uh, uh, in the fellowship area uh, in the back, uh, again, thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. Uh, it is a, a, a holy privilege to uh, communicate uh, uh, the, the untold stories of the victims of persecution around the world and how we at Barnabas Aid are ministering to them and how you can partner with us in helping save lives and uh, help uh, Christians in their uh, time of suffering. Thank you. Well, that gives us uh, something to, uh, to pray about for sure this morning. And I encourage you to find out more from Paul. Talk to him after the service. He'll be in the front room. With that, uh, you mentioned Myanmar. We have uh, relationships with Anglicans there. Archbishop Stephen is uh, someone we know there. And uh, they, they've had to go underground. Uh, they, they can't meet in public anymore. So we know that from our contacts as well. So let us come before the Lord and, uh, and pray for the church and for the world.